morning, beautiful people. Happy voter registration day. I'm Babs Rolls Ivy. This is Love Babs Love Talk. Harry is recuperating. I think Nora's holding it down. Yes, Nora, I heard the music. <laughs> I hear the music. Happy birthday, Robert Fulton. Happy birthday, Maya McFadden. Yes, I'm shouting you out, girl. It's your birthday. Happy birthday. Well, I'm going to take these earrings out because uh, they're pressing. The head, the headsets are pressing on my ear. So these are these are really, really not what I want to be wearing on here. Um, yeah, so happy birthday to all the to the all the amazing people today. Robert Fulton of Full Fit Gym. I still consider him my, my weight training trainer. Uh happy birthday, Maya McFadden, who is um one of the engines of the New Haven Independent Editorial Team. So wherever you are, my happy birthday. I know you ain't out here on these streets. <laughs> I hope you're sleeping in. And then I hope you get pancakes. How about that? Uh, I hope Harry Jones is feeling better. I hope you're feeling better, Harry. And uh, yeah, so today's, what is today? Tuesday. I'm, I'm delighted to have a, a really great guest coming on at 1015, um, David I. Muir who is a, a noted award-winning photographer who did this wonderful coffee table book of photography of Jamaica. And, you know, Jamaica is celebrating uh, 60 years of independence. I don't think they're mourning the queen. <laughs> it, might, it might be dancing in the streets. <laughs> so anyway, um, I just want people to know, uh, happy birthday. So, uh, and David is coming on later. And then uh, I've got some good guests lined up for a couple of days this week. So I'm very excited. So here we go. <laughs> We're going to do all the things. I sat in last night on the uh, Wyndham Campbell opening awards um, at the Yale, uh, Yale Art Gallery. I didn't get a chance to get over there because I had a, a commitment that was running right smack up to it. I had two commit two meetings and I didn't want to miss them. So um, because to reschedule is would be just a pain in the ass. So better to just walk through and deal. And I did. But but through the magic of uh, these internets, I was able to uh, catch the uh, opening and hear the reading um, by a noted author. And uh, awardee, what is her name? Uh, oh, Lord, I've misplaced it. But anyway, uh, da, 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 da. I think it's Andrea. Adrian? Let me see. Let me look it up. Let me look it up. Because I don't want to get it wrong. Because uh, um, Lauren has all her books on display at... Uh, at possible futures and uh, and I didn't want to I don't want to mess up yes Natasha Trethaway Natasha Trethaway and uh, so I listened to her read from her her book yesterday and uh, it was really good um, um this Wyndham Campbell Awards is a pretty pretty cool interesting concept these two guys Wyndham and um Campbell in dedication to they were partners lifetime partners 
uh, one of them didn't go to college. I don't think either one of them went to college, but they were po- one was a poet and they wanted to support the art of poetry. And so they made this award, this gift to Yale because they thought Yale would be the better, the best custodians of this endowment. And so every year they choose, I don't know, 10 to eight to 10 people to get $165,000 or something um, so that they could spend a year working uninterrupted and unconcerned um, so they could work on their, their art, their craft, their, the art of writing, poetry, storytelling, whatever it is. And uh, so I'm very, uh, I'm very excited by that. And I, I love when people do that. I, that's like the ultimate in philanthropy. <laughs> ultimate in philanthropy so anyway um so they've got activities going on every single day there's an event i'm going to try to catch the 12 o'clock uh that's my goal because i want to i want to catch one in person i might not be able to because i got a gazillion deadlines but sometimes you just got to stop and smell the roses Mm. so i want to go see um the sister who wrote Mournable Body. Now they've got, ugh, they've got a bunch of these awardees scheduled at the same time. So you have to choose, <laughs> which I, I love wrestling with choice like this. So I was pouring over um, the website, trying to figure out what I wanted to, what I wanted to go see, what I wanted to go talk about. Um, um, so Sharon uh, Bridgeforth is. Um, doing her piece, Ask Your Mama, Sharon Bridgeworth on Langston Hughes, which is at four o'clock, which I really want to uh, see. She is in conversation with um, Melissa Barton, who is one of the head curators over at the Beinecke. And, you know, I I just adore Melissa Barton. And, And she's such a keeper of Langston Hughes and that whole era, the Harlem Renaissance artist. She's such a keeper of that stuff. So I would be interested in hearing that conversation. So I have to go and see if any of these conversations, if they're all going to be live streamed, because that would make my life a little bit easier as I do this work. Um, because I still I still have to work on the vows for the wedding tomorrow. Uh, I've got um, I've got law school prep stuff to do. And I got two board meetings tonight, the Longworth and Planned Parenthood. So I, I'm, I've been thinking a lot about removing myself off some of these commitments. Um, not today. I don't want people to run back and tell people perhaps quitting. No, but I think when my terms are done, I think I'm going to be done. Because I just want the freedom to move about the way I want to move about. So anyway, I went over to tell um, Tina Leah Designs by uh, Catherine, her new spot on uh, 928 Chapel. So she's upstairs. She's actually down the hall from Ugly Radio. She's just down the hall from Ugly Radio. So if you know where Ugly Radio sits right there on Chapel Street, um, used to be the subway, used to be the, when I was a kid, it was a jewelry store. Then it was a subway. Now it's nothing. It's being renovated into something. But anyway, there's a little door. You put the number in. You know, you can see everybody's at codes. You get buzzed in. It's that kind of vibe. So you get buzzed in. 
Uh, so we went up this. So I saw Kathy Graves. I saw a bunch of people up there yesterday. She's got some 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 really beautiful things. I mean, she's a milliner, so she's a hat maker. So she's got hats. I tried on a couple of fascinators. Um, my wallet wouldn't let me be great, so I didn't even offer to. I can't right now. I'm on a I'm on a seriously strict financial diet at the moment because I got to get to Marrakesh, and it'd be a, a damn shame. If all my friends are in Marrakesh and I'm not, so, <laughs> so I got I got paid for this trip. Um, so anyway, I popped by her opening yesterday, and she had wine and all kinds of little things. It was really nice. I had such a good time. You know, I was there trying out fascinators and just being, you know, myself. So it was lovely. Uh, lots. I saw Esther Armand. Uh, it was good. It was a good time. Good time. Good time. So, so I think she will add a lot to the, uh, to the landscape. So, but anyway, um, um, I tell you what, I just saw something that just caught my eye. Um, I, I want to, uh, catch more of this Wyndham Campbell series. I think this is such a plus to have this right here in our backyard. Do you know what I mean? I know people love MacArthur Fellows and Pulitzer and all. I know. And those have big, 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 big money connected to it. But this is right here in our in our in our backyard. Um, and and you get to you get to sort of see very interesting, intellectually sound people doing what they love to do, doing what they're called to do. So I, for one, um, am, a huge, am a huge fan. And, um, and Michael used to be on the Board of Arts Council. So, um, so this is really, really, really nice to sort of uh, see, see this come together. So um, thank you to Donald Wyndham and, and S Sandy Campbell for uh, creating this. And the vision, you know, it takes a lot of vision um, to sort of uh, uh, takes a lot of vision to sort of give your money forward, you know. So, and 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 uh, Donna Wyndham was a man of great means, and recognized that the money that they made, his family made, was on the backs of. Well, it's questionable slaves, <laughs> you know, all the all the things. And, uh, and it just came from a great deal of privilege. And so I, I just appreciate the story. You can read it up on the WyndhamCampbell.org website. It is uh, quite remarkable. And it is quite a, a, a and they've got money. They got money to use this well into the future. So this this. Uh, this uh, this prize is not going anywhere. So there you go. So the festival itself, which I'm so enamored of, I'm trying to I'm trying to pull it up so I could tell you all the cool stuff that's going on, so that you could um uh, see fit to go. So yesterday was the prize ceremony and lecture by Natasha Trethway, and they did it at the art gallery. And President Salovey introduced her. Uh, and then, uh, I mean, there's, there's stuff going on like right now. Well, at 10 o'clock, there's stuff going on. 
And then uh, 12 o'clock, there's Outside the Comfort or the Playwright as Novelist. That's at the College Street Tent. But at the same time, 12 o'clock, The Mournable Body, which is what I want to go see at the Yale Center for British Art at the Lecture Hall. And this one is Sisisti uh, uh, um, Dangaramba, uh, her three novels, Nervous Conditions, The Book of Knot, and The Mournable Body. Uh, have had an impact, an enormous impact on on women's writing in Africa and around the world. So she'll discuss these three works in a career-spanning conversation with uh, Courtney J. Martin. So so that'll be happening. Uh, oh yes, so it will be live streamed. Oh good. So <laughs> I want to be there in person, but I I got way too many commitments. Way too many commitments. I am inundated with it, which is fine. I'm not complaining. I'm not complaining about having a busy life. That is not the, that is not the thing. And then, and if you wanted to catch the book launch of uh, uh, the book of Goose by Yi Yeon Lee, um, they're going to be over at the Asian American Cultural Center at 12 o'clock, which is, you know, 295 Crown Street. I've never been in there either. Um, I, I wish I could just be in two places at once, but I, you know, you can't. Or what you can do is set up all your devices and tune into all of it. But I don't know. I don't know how that is multitasking to the nth degree. And then four o'clock theater as ritual, the college at the College Street Tent, cross campus. So I don't even know where that is. So I guess you have to find that. But I, I wanted. I want. I was torn between that. But then when I saw the conversation with um, uh, Sharon Bridgeforth on Langston Hughes. And she's going to be talking to Melissa Barton. I was like, oh, no, no, no. That's already, I'm, I know what I'm doing. Um, and I think, I hope that's live streamed. Let me look. Because I'm going to be sorely disappointed if it is not. Wait, I don't see it. It doesn't say so. It's free and open to the public. So I might try to sneak over there. I don't know. It's going to be cutting it mighty close with these. I could always tell these boards up a little late and then i was torn about um england's green by um zafar kuniel who is who is going to be at the um henry eight henry r loose hall on hill house avenue so it's his book launch i was thinking about that too um and i think the first 50 people that arrive get get a copy of his book signed you can get it signed and then there's a choral performance at six o'clock at the beinecke intimate strangers which I kind of, I wish I could make that. I mean, this is, I'm just wishing now. <laughs> so um, choral performance, Intimate Strangers, is a collaboration between Portuguese uh, vocalist composer Sarah Serper and Nigerian writer Emmanuel Iduma. So, this, so they're going to be drawing inspiration from Iduma's book, A Stranger's Pose. So... Um, you know, it's like a travelogue, poetry, prose, that kind of thing. So I, I, I don't, it doesn't say it's going to be live. This one doesn't say it's going to be live. Everything at the binding key doesn't say it's going to be live streamed. And then 730, they're going to have some stage readings, um, works by the Drama Prize recipients. So, I mean, so 730, you could, you could catch some of this stuff. So, and the, it'll be with uh, Sharon Bridgeforth and Winsome Pinnock. So stage reading of selected scenes from the works of the 20, uh, and they're, they're the winners this year, two of the winners. 
So they're free, open to the public. Uh, and the, this one is going to be at the, the Yale uh, Art Gallery, too. So that might be worth trying to sneak in and get over there and see that, you know. So that's just that's just today, beauties. That is just today. Tomorrow, they start again with the Daily Wake Up at 10 o'clock, a Daily Wake Up with uh, uh, Ishian Hutchison, and then the Hauntologies of Slavery at 12, Children of Migration at 12, Zimbabwe in Fiction at 2, uh, Close Looking, Richard Wright's African uh, Photographs at four at the Beinecke. Uh, tomorrow, six o'clock, Oracles and Blessings, The Artist in Turbulent Times. And I think that is the conversation that our beloved Shah is having with um, Sharon Bridgeford. And I wish I could, I'm, I'm, I'm officiating a wedding. I mean, you just cannot see into the future. <laughs> Because if I could have saw into the future and knew this was happening. Uh, but anyway, um, but Shah is amazing. And uh, I think this is going to be a lovely pairing. There's a beautiful picture of them. I guess last night they had dinner. And there's a beautiful picture of her with Sharon Bridgeforth. Uh, Shah is amazing. I love her. She's going to bring the right sort of conversation. I could think of nobody better to have this conversation than Miss Charmaine McAllister. I, I kid you not. No, no better, nobody's going to have a better conversation than Charmaine with Sharon Bridgeforth. So I am, uh, I'm excited for her to be doing this. And uh, I, 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 if they put it up on their site, well, the Beinecke is the Stetson. So if they live stream it or whatever, I will catch it at a later time. Uh, but I, I know it's going to be, I know it's going to be amazing. And then at eight o'clock, music, movies, and dancing. One, more in parentheses, night in the Roof nightclub. So this is at Griffin, uh, at the Griffin. So if you if you want to get your party on with the kids, uh, this might be the place you want to be. Uh, I'm a, I'm a pass on that, I think. But, you know, my, listen, Ishian Hutchison, I think it's Ishian or Ishian Hutchison will play a mashup of Jamaican music, ska, rock steady, reggae, and especially 1970s dub. So listen, and then they're going to screen uh, a short film, um, a, a original dub poetry and a screening of a short film, and then guest DJ appearance by uh, Jonah Mixon Weber. So it's going to be, and, and hey, Sandra's is catering this thing. So, uh, so they're going to have soul food, baby. So that might be worth everything. It might be worth everything to go get your little sky reggae jam party on at eight o'clock at the Griffin, 204 York Street. So, and then that's just Wednesday. Thursday, I might be able to get back up in the mix. Um, they're going to do the daily wake up with Jonah Mixon Webster. That's at 10 o'clock, College Street 10, cross campus. Who was the critic? 1230, College Street 10. Sources of poetry. At 12.30, the Yale Center for British Art and Lecture Hall. Fiction and its discontents. Two o'clock. So screenings in my father's village at the Beinecke. Two o'clock, close, close listening. Um, Skokian by Louis Armstrong. That's four o'clock at the Beinecke. Uh, close looking. Turner turned inside out. 
So, I mean, listen, uh, they're going to be looking at, uh, so Winston Pennock's most recent play, Rockets and Blue Lights, takes the audience on a sharp, deep dive into J.M.W. Turner's painting, The Slave Ship. So that, that should be quite interesting and thought-provoking. Um, and she's going to be in conversation. Uh, Tinder photo, African phot photography in real time at the Yale University Art Lecture. And then more readings by the prize recipients. So, I mean, there, there's, there's a lot here that you can take in. And it's th the richness of it um, is just um, stunning to me. You know, the richness of it is stunning. And there you have it. That is the, that is the schedule. So go to the Wyndham Campbell dot uh, org site and and just peruse it see see where you could go check out something if you don't know these artists um it's still worth your time you're not going to know everything about everybody and this is how you learn about people and different things and artists writers you might find a writer that uh, who you come across that you didn't know and will just astound you so i'm just saying I'm just saying. So, yeah. Uh, what else I wanted to say? It's National Voter Registration Day. If you're not registered to vote, today would be a good day to do it. The weather is nice here in Connecticut. Um, um, you can go to any of your, your, your town halls, town clerk's office. Um, there's voter registration ballots, I think, at public libraries. I'm sure there are people. I'm sure the NAACP will be set up somewhere. So do that. Uh, and let me let me just order, let me say uh, our hearts and prayers go out to the people in Puerto Rico. They've been hit hit very badly again by the storm, washed out roads and bridges. I know people here on the mainland are, are doing all they can to get supplies to them. And uh, yeah, yes, yes, yes. It's it's that season, and it's uh, it's quite challenging. So um, if you can donate to organizations that are um, helping to um, gather resources for Puerto Rico, um, find one and do it. Um, you know, I know they're not asking people to give millions of dollars, but if each one of us gave a couple of dollars, that would help offset some of this tragedy. So just, you know, uh, just keep, let's keep our, our sisters and brothers of Puerto Rico uh, in our prayers and on our minds, all right? <laughs> I mean that. So um, just stay tuned for uh, ways in which you can help. Just stay tuned uh, because uh, these storms are no joke and they, and they just are so devastating. So anyway, yeah, pay attention and help where you can. Um, supplies are desperately needed and help is needed. So you want to be great, here's your opportunity. Here's your opportunity. So uh, let's see what's going on. Um, other things that are going on. Let's see. I think I was up this morning reading a little bit. I, I know the Alex Jones um, trial is still going on at Waterbury this morning. I guess I have to decide sentencing and and how much restitution has to be paid, I guess. <laughs> I guess. Mm -hmm. So I, 
don't even know how to, I don't even want to talk about that. So I'm going to move on from Alex Jones and his foolishness, you know. So I'm, I'm over at the New Haven Independent site. And uh, uh, there's a wonderful story about an auction winner remembers the roses. Um, I guess he won a property through auction. And when he, he grew up in Fairhaven, and he, I guess he remembered these when he was a little kid, you know. Um, and so at the foreclosure auction, um, he, uh, he got the only bid and, uh, and just remembered the roses from when he was uh, a child. So uh, people losing their homes is painful. So, you know, roses. I know when I when I left my house, I didn't take my roses, but they're still there. The people didn't they didn't they didn't um they didn't pull them up. I drove by, I drove by. I had to drive by because I have Soros and friends that live still live on Bellevue, uh, and the roses are still there. The hostas are still there, and I put in a bunch of bushes of roses. I don't know if the roses in the back are still there. I would imagine they might have cut those down, uh, but you know I don't know. I can't, I'm not going to go on their property to find out. <laughs> I'm not. I'm not going to. Uh, I'm not going to go find out. I'll be trespassing. But it's good to know that the roses that I planted are still in that front yard. So that that makes it still feel like a little bit of me is still in that property. So I don't. Don't get me wrong. I don't. I don't miss it. Like I long to be back there. Nope. I actually like the vibrancy of where I am. Actually, I actually like, I actually like having a porch. I, mean, I spent a lot of time in my backyard on Bellevue because we had a backyard and it was tricked down and well appointed. Um, but I actually like sitting out front. So anyway, that's 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 all there is for that. Um, so if you're if, if you're up at the New Haven Independence site, there's there's some cool stuff going on. There's some, some thought-provoking things um, that you want to stay up on and uh, that will land squarely in your, uh, right in front of you, information and news about what is going on and around our city, particularly at government levels and community stuff too, like who's doing what, where's, what's happening, um, that kind of stuff. Um, there's a piece up by uh, Brian Slatery on the Ely Center. Um, Ely Center gets religion. So it must be an exhibition of religious things. I haven't read it yet. So uh, I haven't read it yet. Uh, oh, I did see on the news, though, that the feds have okayed $25 million to prevent coastal floods. So they're going to put a 3,000-foot drainage pipe tunnel, drainage pipe, pipe, and the tunnel will run from uh, West Water Street to the harbor. So... Of, of course, Elliker is cautious about putting out a specific timeline. He, he's not very good at timelines. <laughs> there's, there's still stuff he spoke. He tried to speak into existence that didn't happen. But, you know, that's, I guess, I guess, oh, well, I guess that's how government works. Don't, don't count on stuff getting done. I, I don't know. I've never seen anything quite like it, but that's all right. Um, so that, I think that would be, you know, I used to live in City Point, And so flooding was always uh, a concern. I mean, I lived far enough away from the sound. I had a whole 
baseball field in front of me. Um, and what used to be the water sewage plant is now um, Sound School, right? So, so I had all that in front of me before water could get. But let me tell you, the, the thought was always there um, about flooding. And so, um, and the thing about it too is that the rail, the railroad sits right there in the sound too. So the flooding creates um, problems for the rail. I mean, it just does, you know, water and electricity, not a good combination. And our rails are run, you know, we, we're not using coal anymore. They run on electricity. So, uh, and so if it's flooded out, it creates, I mean, you all know, it creates delays and shortages and power out, all kinds of stuff. So, so high five to the feds for looking out, you know, high five. And uh, I'm sure people who live in that neighborhood are feeling like, okay, now let's get it done. I, I need it to get done. So, but we're not going to hold them to timelines because, you know, the mayor has said, don't hold me to no timelines. <laughs> so, so, okay, we're we not going to, we're not going to worry about it. We're just going to, we're just going to wait and see. <laughs> we're just going to wait and see how it all plays out, how it all plays out. So um, uh, what else is going on? Let me, let me, let me. Let me let me get right. Um, so I think uh, let me just jump over to Ukraine. So I think the Ukrainians are quite nervous that the desperation of Putin has is elevating. And you know, you know how bullies do, they're gonna use every tool they have at their disposal. Uh, <laughs> you know, wait, let me let, before I go into my Ukraine thing, um, the fact that anybody would say Tom Breen is mean is a fool. <laughs> so, because you know, you know, Tom Breen is 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 the reporter here at the, at, over at the New Haven Independent, and so you know, like most logically thinking, intelligent people, you know, he just asks questions that make sense. He's not going to ask questions that, you know, like if the mayor is standing there talking about, um. Uh, we're gonna, we're gonna, we're gonna, we're gonna put this pipe in. My question, my, as a logical thinking person, the question is, well, when are you gonna start? How long do you anticipate it to go on? The illogical question would be, the mayor asked, the mayor states, I'm gonna put, we gonna, we got the money from the feds, and we're gonna lay some pipe. The illogical question would be, well, what are we having for lunch? <laughs> see, what I'm, see, you see, you see, you see where the, miscon the, the disconnect is? So, so I gather the mayor would rather answer questions about what you what we're having for lunch than honest to God timelines, so that you know the people that live in those neighborhoods and all those other interested stakeholders will have some sense or how to plan their movements. I don't, I don't know. I'm not the mayor. I don't run this city, but I, I just ask questions. So Tom Breen asked questions and he was always met with, well, you being mean to me, Tom Breen. <laughs> I 
my brain is like, but this is what you said. I'm just, I'm just following up on what you said. Uh, you make these promises. I'm a promise follower. I'm just following the, the, the bouncing white ball of mediocrity. I'm just doing that. <laughs> oh, God. Somebody tell the mayor, somebody just walk up to him, tap on the shirt and say, you know, you know what the press does, right? They report news. And so if you say something, whether you say something six months ago or a year ago or two years ago, that it's on record. And so the New Haven Independent isn't, isn't the National Enquirer. Like we're not trying to, we're not trying to catch you, you know, in, in the back selling, you know, monkeypox vaccines. That's <laughs> that's not that's not what they do. It's like, this is what you said. And we're gonna just respond to what you said. If you if you don't, you know, I, I know that, case in point, they still don't have the crisis response pilot. It, is that do they just think people will forget about that? Like I don't and what what should the crisis response do? Is it a staffing issue? Is it we don't know where to put it? Or is it just I just say anything I need to say so people know that I'm trying to do something. I help me out. I'm just, and you know, it's no secret I'm I'm no fan of the mayor, but it's not personal. Like I don't I don't know him personally. Like we don't sit around and kick ears and you know appetizers and like that. I don't I don't know him personally. I only know what I experience and see in my city of his leadership, and for me. At best, it's mediocre. But every day in America, mediocre white men can wake up and say, I want. And guess what happens? They do. So I'm not, it's not personal to me. White people could get mad at me. And then white people all over this town are like, oh, Babs, I'm being unfair. I, what the hell do you think? Why do you care if I'm unfair or not? I, I don't, I didn't vote for him. I don't write his checks. I don't do any of that. So I don't know why people think I'm being unfair. You tell me, where exactly am I being unfair? This mediocrity from top to bottom. There's only a handful of good things in this city that he's done. That's Adrian Jefferson. I got to think about something else. I got to think about the other one. And maybe, maybe the new police chief, who he didn't want anyway. So I'm not giving him credit for that. Because he, he had to be, he had to be perp-walked away from, the, from that, poor choice of an acting chief he had he had to be beat down to to you know thank god the board of aldermen rose to the occasion and said nope we don't like that choice you know oh yeah and the libraries are closed on sundays i don't i just don't i just don't you know i don't even know i don't i don't i don't know what to make of this you know libraries are at the cornerstone of civilized communities you know, that is that is the sustaining, that, that is one of the pillars of civility and intellect, our libraries. Why would you not want them to be open? I don't give a damn if nobody ever goes in there. The thought that the library is open is enough, is enough, is enough. I mean, what are you doing over there at City Hall? And please, please, please spare me. Spare me, people. You people like, you know, they were so desperate to have a, a, a white mayor that they chose any old white mayor. 
And please don't tell me it's not about race. Everything in this country is about race. Everything. Everything. Every single thing. And if you don't believe that, then you need to go read, immerse yourself. Go take a year and immerse yourself in the history of this country. Otherwise, don't shut up. Because you you're not, you just, you just, you just talking about how you feel. You're not going on anything other than, well, this is how I want to feel. This is how I want to feel about it. This mayor is mediocre. And we deserve for city this cosmopolitan, we deserve a dynamic, interesting mayor. And, and we don't have that. Who surrounds itself with all kinds of people, not just who he's comfortable with. That, that's, that's all I'm going to say. And I wish there was another candidate. I wish we had a much more, you know, I, 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 don't, I don't care if he jumps on stage and sings gospel music. I, I'm not impressed by that. You know what I'm impressed by? Opening the damn libraries. Sing the gospel over there while you're opening the doors. You know, where's the crisis response? How many shootings have we had? What's going on? So now would be a good time to have a crisis response team. I don't know if it would be a good idea to have a crisis response team in, I don't know, December, where it might be a foot of snow on the ground and maybe there's no crisis going on. I don't know. I have no idea. I don't know what this, you know, and God knows if we have another meeting where people come together to give him ideas, how many damn ideas do you need? Jesus Christ. <laughs> this is the most ideas getting mayor who don't use not near one of them. <laughs> Wait, we're going to sit around and kumbaya, kick it, talk, and then we're not going to take none of that information anywhere. I'm just going to, I want the photo op to show y'all that I'm gathered. And then that is it. I, I, if I'm wrong, point me out. Tell me. Babs, you are so wrong about that. Show me where the mayor has taken any, any conversation any points from any of these community conversations and implemented them. You know where the implementation came from? When he had to get back down and walked around about the, the police chief. Because he had that dreadful police, acting police woman in there who, I don't care if she's not, she can be nice all day. Everybody's nice to their, to their, to their comfort, right? Everybody's nice. She was, she was not competent for that job. That's it. That's all right. I believe in women having power to move up and the down, left, right, whatever. She just wasn't the one. It's all right. Sometimes you pick the wrong, you make the wrong choice and you just got to make a better choice. Now we've got a chief in there now that everybody's like white, black, otherwise. I think more, I think more black people like them than white people. I could be wrong, but I don't think so. They got a, you know, they got a morale issue, you know. Now we got to do, now you got to make decisions about the Board of Ed. Oh my God. What? More mess. <laughs> it's a world-class, this is a world, this is a world-class city that needs a world-class leader. And we don't have that. And we, we are suffering through mediocrity. And, and people seem to be, people seem to find comfort and ease with that. You know, they find comfort and ease with that. And I just find it to be deplorable. So I, I don't, you know, I, I do not dislike him as a human being. So don't, 
people think that when you're critical that it's it's rooted in some kind of I'm not unhappy. There's no personal unhappiness here. There's no personal uh, 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 feelings about it. I, he's, he's not my friend. He's, he doesn't hang out on the porch or none of that. You know, I just feel like he's just mis he's misguided, misdirected, and he's mediocre. That's it. I don't I don't find him interesting at all. I don't, and uh, and I don't think he brought anything to the table to make this city better. Now, you could. Bullet, bullet point me some stuff. I'll take it. I'll be like, yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, but let me, but be, but be very clear. If you bullet point some some accomplishments, did they come with a arm twisted? <laughs> did he freely of his own his own imagination come up with anything that makes this city better? And I'm not saying that mayors have to do that. But I've not seen that yet. Like I've not, I've not seen him go. Hmm. I think this city needs, and let's go do it. Hey, gang, let's go do this. I don't know. It just seems like to me that um, all the things that you promised, and it does. These things don't seem like heavy lifts to me. Like a crisis response team. I, that doesn't seem like a heavy lift to me. I mean, listen, you are, we already got a ward a ward chair situation set up, right? So we already we already got neighborhoods. There are no new neighborhoods. All these these thirty neighborhoods are already established, fully established with people in them running them. They're already doing the work in their communities. They have representation. They have alders, each one of them. So. The structure is already in place, so I, I don't I don't know what they I haven't read what they plan to do with crisis response team. Um, I, I don't know what that even looks like, but it seems to me that you've already got communities that set up. So what are you going to put in place? Like how do you do that? Like what are you going to do? You know, I mean, empower block watches, right? Empower, empower. I think the only thing that I got, I gathered was like those gazillion cameras they want to put around town. So New Haven is going to be what? TikTok city. I don't even, I don't even, have they even started those? Are they, are those even up? Cause the ones that they have up ain't working. So you're going to put new ones up and what are you going to do with the old ones? Are you going to fix the old ones? Are you going to put new ones and take down old ones? What's the plan? Help me. Have they started? Are they on back order? What is happening? <laughs> And who, who's going to be mad in that? Is this somebody going to be mad in that? I just want to know. And, and how many does Newhall get? And how many does Westville get? Does Westville get any cameras? Or do all 500 go in Newhallville? I just want to know. <laughs> I just want to know so I can be prepared to wear lipstick every day so I look cute on these little videos. You know, that's all I'm saying. I mean, if you're going to... Right, because 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 that's the thinking. I, I bet you there won't be no cameras on Saint Ronan. No, I doubt it. Those people are not going to have that. Are there going to be cameras on Saint Ronan? Six hundred of the five hundred going to New Hallfield, <laughs> and then the other one hundred go into the hill. <laughs> All right, put a camera on the porch. Let's go. <laughs> Come on, let's put just put one on the porch. Come on, I'll let you do it. I I I am I am nothing if not for the absurdity of things. So 
And I know they're listening to City Hall. I know they are. I know. I know. Somebody is listening. I know because he's gonna somebody gonna be like that. Dabs is talking about you again. Yep, I am. You know why? 500, 600 cameras make no sense to me. Are they even up? Are we wait. Who's bringing them? Santa? Is Santa bringing these cameras? What is happening? <laughs> Are we getting them for 2024? Are we getting them? <sighs> yes, that's right. Live from Ivy Street, porching with Babs, live streaming at One Union Avenue. Mm-hmm. That's what you got to do. So, yeah, put 600 cameras over here, I guess. Are there any on St. Ronan? Are there any over there uh, downtown New Haven? Any? No? No? Just all for New Hallville? Okay. But New Hallville as far as what? Science Park or or before Science Park? Just I'm just trying to understand where we're going with this. We got cameras. Are they coming? Where are they? Back order? Coming from China? What's happening? Help me out. I just want to know. <laughs> so I guess we'll get the cameras and we get that crisis response team. Go hand in hand. Right? Crisis response, cameras. I guess. This is like ham and cheese. I, I don't... <laughs> Covered with closed libraries. Oh, and a pipe that's going to be laid at some point over there, but near, around Long Wharf, somewhere. Some point. We'll get that. When's his time up again? Is he running or is he waiting for Rosa's seat? What's happening? Tell me. What's the what's the what's the next step? There's got to be a next step. What's the stepping stone? What's the what's the trajectory? Is it I did my term two times as a mayor or do or is it three time term as a mayor and then I get to go, you know, run for Rosa's seat or Martin Looney's seat or because that's where you really want to be or I don't know. Just help me. I'm just trying to understand the lay of the land. I, I'm nobody in the overall scheme of thing. I'm not a kingmaker. I don't see anybody's um, uh, war room. I don't know anything. I, I'm just, I just I just put all the pieces on the on the on the board. And I just look at the likely movements, okay? So, you know, I, nobody nobody is unscathed in this thing as far as I'm concerned. So I don't know who's going to, I don't know who's running for mayor next. So I don't have no sense of that. I got, I heard some rumors, but you know, rumors are rumors. Rumors are, rumors are just lovely to talk, have conversation over cocktails. Um, and two people file papers, eh, it's, it's, it's of no consequence. So, so the, the players at play. So does Elika want to be, what's his next move from, from um, cause he, I think he's got political ambition. I mean, most, 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 most white men, most mediocre white men in politics do. So, um, so, and he, he, he would have a future. So does he move from mayor and move through the ranks of Connecticut? Like, does he, does he shoot for Martin Looney's seat or does he shoot for Rosa DeLauro's seat? Or does he go shoot straight for governor? I'm just trying to understand. Like, what's the trajectory? You know, same thing. I, I, I think about I think about Gary Winfield. Does he does he does he shoot? Does he shoot for a, 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 a larger seat in Connecticut? Like if if somebody runs for governor, I would imagine Susan Bicewitz would run for governor. You know, because I, I don't think I don't think this is Ed Lamont's jam. I think he took it on, 
like most white men or means, oh, this would be a lovely little hobby. And, and I'm not saying he don't care. That's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying, you know, if you don't have a career in politics, I, whatever are you doing? So he's, he'll, he'll retire to the country and be like, you know what? I had a good run or whatever. I had a run. I don't know if it's good, bad or otherwise. So, so does Susan run and does she take Gary Winfield as her lieutenant governor? Does he want to be lieutenant governor? You know, and where does that leave Eric Russell, who is ambitious um, and, and has his eye? I know people on the back channel, are, you know, pushing him to seek higher office. He's attractive. He's smart. He's young. Oh, and he's black. So that's a that's a winning combination. So where, where, where do the pieces on the table go? So, you know, he, yes, he's going to be our treasurer. But, you know, he's not going to stay in that gig forever because why would you? with that kind of talent, you know, you go, you make some inroads, you make some good investments, you do something good with Connecticut's money. You, you launch a couple of programs that like blah, blah, blah. And then you make a run for something else. Uh, I think he's ambitious enough to run for governor, but he might have to, he might want that Lieutenant governor seat. So <laughs> So we'll we'll uh, we'll 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 see how this goes. I'm watching. You know, Karen Walton is not off the table. You know, that's another moving piece. Where would that go? Where would that land? There's a whole bunch of people who got who are putting themselves in positions to sort of make leaps and bounds. So we'll see. You know, I, that's what makes that's what makes politics exciting. Rosa Delora is going to have to make a move at some point. Martin Looney is going to have to make a move at some point. Um, Chris Murphy, I don't, I don't know what his stronger ambitions are. I, I don't, I don't think he could be president. Mm -mm. I don't think so. Uh, but I, I think he could, I think he could run some stuff though. I think he could run some stuff. Um, that's where I'm at. So anyway, <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna stay with this political stuff and just watch it as a spectator. I'm a voting spectator, so I'm not one of these people that just complains. And I'm not even complaining. I'm just ish talking. I vote. I know something about campaigns. I know something about the political process. I understand how legislation is moved. It, it took Gary Winfield and Robin Porter and all those cats 10 years just to move Connecticut off the damn death penalty. We shouldn't be killing people. I don't care what the circumstances. We should not be in the business of killing people. You know, but there's other fights that gotta, that gotta happen, right? That, that, take, that take so long. It takes a long time sometimes to get, to get everybody on the playground to play nice. <laughs> And to pass the ball. <laughs> That's how I see it. Everybody on the playground, pass the ball, get the ball to the hoop. You got to get the ball to the hoop. It takes a lot to do that because everybody's got their own agenda. They got their own alliances. You know, politics is really like Survivor, Big Brother and The Bachelor all thrown into one. <laughs> it, it is. I love it. You cannot love it. How can you not love it? You, you, you can be frustrated all you want. Frustrated. Frustration is a legit emotion, but you gotta you gotta admire these people who get in there against all odds and say, you know what, I wanna I wanna 
do X, Y, and Z. So they're not they're not just they're not just spectators. So so while I while I um, chastise and make fun of and all that other kind of stuff, I do admire people who put themselves out there uh, to run for office. It it running for office it is the highest I think the highest um, calling to uh, service uh, that you can have, I think, as a citizen, that you care that much that you want to make some inroads. Now, maybe that's a little, and I, you know, I, I can't say what people's motivations are. I only know that it requires a great deal of courage um, and stamina to run for any office, whether it's the Board of Ed or the Board of Alders or Senate or any, any, any governor, you know, rep, president, vice president. It takes, it takes a lot of fortitude and, uh, and everybody doesn't have it. Every, everyone doesn't have it. People could say whatever they want and they could talk all the mess but until you suit up and get in the game, you don't really know how hard it is to get out there and to stay on message and to look in people's faces and to shake their hands and to listen to their BS and their whining and complaining and kvetching. You don't know what that's like until you are out there every single day smiling, trying to stay on message, trying to distance yourself and difference yourself from other people who are running. It, it is work. No matter what the level is, it is work. Of course, the higher you go, the harder it gets. Yes. Because you because if you're at that federal, if you're at the presidential level, you got to zigzag this whole country. But it's equally hard to zigzag your own city. <laughs> it is difficult. You got to go to all the cookouts. You got to go to everybody's church. This is why I'll never be mayor. Cause I don't want to do any of that. I don't want, I just don't want to do it. I, I don't, I don't, I don't want to hear about why you don't want that tree down or you want that tree down or why your sidewalks are trapped. I've been there, done that. I was an alder. Love being an alder. I loved hearing about people. I love meeting my neighbors. I loved it until I had to give it up. And so, and you know, honestly, that probably was more of a blessing than, than, uh, than, than, than not. I, I did it. I did it twice. And, uh, and I had to leave it. And that was fine. I think that was a real blessing. Because I'd still be in that mix, I think. I'd still be trying to have some inroads. And I, and I wouldn't get to enjoy the kind of life that I'm enjoying now. Do you know what I mean? And that's that. And that, my friends, is the sacrifice to a life of public service that you do forego a lot of things that other people enjoy and take take for granted so there's a lot of late nights there's a lot of phone calls there's a lot of meetings and it, and, and i don't say it to, to like like say oh it's in a in a way to whine i'm saying it in a way that it's I, I don't think i don't think everyday ordinary people think about it i don't think they think about it how hard it is so anyway um i'm gonna take a break the call letters are happening I come back with uh, David I. Muir, who is a photographer, who's this beautiful coffee book of Jamaican photographs. Um, and it comes right at the same time as Jamaica is celebrating 60 years of independence from the crown. So I'll be back. 
All right, Nora, hit you know, it. Kids have to get the COVID vaccine for school. My five-year-old starts kindergarten this year. It's not required, but I did get mine vaccinated to be on the safe side. There were several cases of COVID in the classes this year, and I'm happy they all stayed healthy. I just keep wondering if the COVID vaccine is the right thing for my child. I understand fully. And from what I've seen, there's been no major issues with my friends or their children. The COVID-19 vaccine is safe and effective, and it improves people's lives. Thanks to this vaccine, there is less spread and fewer symptoms reported by those who get infected. Now everyone over the age of six months can get it, and no appointment is necessary. Find out more at nhvvax.com, nhvvax.com. Make summer safer. Protect your family from COVID-19. Anyone over nine months old can get vaxxed. No appointment necessary. Visit nhvvax.com. That's nhvvax.com for everything you need to know. I'm New Haven Health Director Marissa Bond. If you or your family have COVID-19 symptoms or think you were exposed to someone with COVID, quarantine, stay home, and get tested on day five if possible. If you have COVID, isolate, wear a mask, vaccinate, get boosted, and test it as needed. Those are the best ways to stop the spread of COVID. At this time, we are vaccinating everyone ages five and up. Stay safe, New Haven. Hi, this is Babs Rawls-Ivy from New Haven, Connecticut, and you're listening to WNHHLP 103.5 FM, streaming live at newhavenindependent.org. I want to dance all night, Monday morning, I'm sick of this job already. With this book in a little while Me and my girls, we turned it up last week Boys love this club, cause ladies get in free
Tried to flip, didn't get tall. Send them pearly whites, time to floss. Got top billing, counted the cost. Everybody knows that you're a go-getter. Set me with a smile as you earned your cheddar. Work real hard, and who could do better than you, Bob? Got through the week. On his bait, you're gonna let a good catch get away. This song could be about how we first met, but how are you gonna reminisce when you haven't got over him yet? This song could be about what you're searching for. You're looking all over town, and I'm knocking on your front door just to be.
about us, but it's not. Die. 
Come on. Sitting at the party, rocking back and forth, acting like you divorced. Your legs from the dance floor. Girls are saying they want more. Fellas to get on the floor. Then somebody screams. It's got to be jaking on the scene. You know that I'm a party fiend. So I'm caught a stages. Still a on a Versace, yes. No, I have to impress. Can't come with nothing less. Then on the Magusto. Catch one the battle, but they don't know. Just which way I flow. You might be right. But don't you know that my game is tight? Got you right in my sight. Let's believe all the hype. We're gonna rock tonight. No. You got too much. It's up to the dance floor. Love Babs, Love Talk on Babs, Rolls Ivy. I'm delighted to welcome David. I'm your artist, photographer, businessman, and you have a beautiful book out that uh, showcases, highlights, and celebrates Jamaica. And on the heels of Jamaica celebrating 60 60 years of of his freedom and liberation from the crown, this is a good time to be an artist. How are you, David? (laughs) I'm wonderful. I I I don't know if I expected this ball of energy in terms of the vibe, the music, your energy, your smile. I I gotta give it to you. You bring the energy. It's beautiful. I love this. I love this. Well, well thank you. Thank you. I'm an honorary Jamaican, so I'm gonna claim that part of it so that uh you understand that I, I am. It's about one love. That's it. <laughs> it, it. The love is felt. The love is great. And so thank you so much for having me. Um, I love talking about Jamaica. I was born there. I grew up there. Uh, it's a funny balance for me because I've actually lived in the U.S. for 27 years now. And I lived in Jamaica for 27 years. So that makes me the total of 27 and 27 for my age. But honestly... I, even though I'm 100% Jamaican, I've lived here as long as I lived there. And how does that feel? And, and, and is, this, is this your first um, real effort at photog- photographing Jamaica this way? No, definitely not. <laughs> so I'm glad you asked in that way. So uh, for those who may know, um, I've done a book for Jamaica's 50th anniversary of independence 10 years ago which was extremely successful and was a wonderful um, exploration of photography on Jamaica. I also obviously have now done a book for 
Jamaica's 60th anniversary of independence. However, in between those times, I've done much other work in Jamaica, both as a private photographer working for my clients, as well as doing work for the government of Jamaica. So I've, I've done a lot of the tourism photography. Um, certainly, at least in the last few years, I've done probably the most of their photography for what the, the government uses to attract visitors from the United States, United Kingdom, and so on. Mm-hmm. So when you when you do a 50th in, a 50th anniversary celebratory book and you're like, OK, I, I, I know all there is to see in Jamaica. So you get to the 60th year. What do you say? Is there some new thing about Jamaica I could capture? You know, what's funny is that you can never capture all of Jamaica. So there is, there's always one. And, and people think of Jamaica as a small island. It's not small. It's it's tremendous. So I could go back every year and do another book in Jamaica if I had the time and if I had the resources. It is so, there's so much, literally so much to cover without duplicating anything. It's all completely new material. And then additionally, from it being new material, the country continues to develop in different ways. So there are more things to see, more things to experience. And I will say that the biggest distinction for me between the book 10 years ago and this current book, even though they're both, you know, big, solid coffee table products, the biggest difference is that the latest book, which we did for Jamaica 60, was more a tell-all style, meaning it has a lot more facts and information about the country and about things to do there, whereas the first book was really more an artistic expression. It was I grew up in Jamaica, I had left Jamaica, I was living in the United States, and I wanted to show my love and my passion for the place of my birth. And so I went to Jamaica shooting for what were the things that reminded me of my youth, and in particular, the things that made me happy as a young man growing up in Jamaica. This effort now for the 60th is completely different. This is more a more polished and finished book and I say this again respectfully, Miss Babs. I, I want you. To, uh, sorry, let me say the fabulous Babs. Let me. <laughs> mess- hey, hey, you own it. It's it's you. The hair, everything. You are fabulous. The glasses, everything. Your smile. You just, you're winning all over the place. But I'll, I'll say this: when I did the first effort, you know, I was not thinking of doing a book at all. And so when the idea was proposed to me by the publisher, it breathed a life into me. Since that time, my company that I run has become a publishing company. So while I didn't publish the first book myself, this new effort is an effort that's managed by my own publishing company. We do a lot of work for a lot of other um, clientele who hire us to handle publishing. So we have a debt, a dearth, a, 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 a large volume of experience in publishing. Now, was when I did the first book, I was literally somebody who never had thought of doing publishing at all in my life. And now we have our own magazine line. We've done magazine lines for other companies. We've done other books. We, we're, we're, uh, we're very seasoned in the publishing game now. Mm. So let's change gears a little bit. 
So where'd you grow up in Jamaica? Tell me about what that was like growing up in Jamaica and, and what did you learn? What, what were the gifts? There's so many gifts growing up in Jamaica, but you know what? I, I, I'll say I grew up in a place called Kingston. Oh my God, so boring. I love Kingston. Every, everybody feels they're from Kingston, but I was I was born <laughs> <laughs> I was born in a hospital in Kingston. I lived in St. Andrew, which is the suburb of Kingston. Mm-hmm. And so I, I grew up there and I lived there the whole time. So what happens is because I have a you know family that's broad and is in many areas I would travel all over the island to visit with family as I grew up and as you know uh, as my own this determined exploration uh, yielded interest for me I went everywhere and I went with an eye to explore I went to have fun but what did I learn I learned so many things first of all I learned to be an entrepreneur because both of my parents were entrepreneurs one and then two, in addition to them being entrepreneurs, which really is like one of the greatest things that Jamaica can give you. And I mean that in the sense of all, any developing nation, any third world nation is going to have a lot of entrepreneurs because there isn't established businesses to give people the type of uh, job security needed to depend on that way of living. So people who strive to have success, strive to be on their own, they're going to learn how to make a trade or a business out of a trade or how to make something work for them. It could be that you're collecting mangoes and selling them on the street corner, or it could be that you're, you know, making a cook shop, or it could be anything. You're going to do gardening, you're going to do whatever it was. So I, as a very young man, and still in high school, I started, and again, I start in the Caribbean, in Jamaica, you start high school at 10. So wow. I, started high, I started high school at 10 because that's that's the English system. That's the, the British system is that you start at the time. You only have elementary and then high school. There's no middle school, so there's no middle ground. So we go to high school at age 10 or 11. I started at 10. But in that space, so I'm in a school where I'm seeing all these, you know, almost adults, teenagers, and I'm 10 and I'm, I want to get in on the things that they're doing. So by the by the time I was like 11, I was starting in a trade. And so music was my first trade. So I was a disc jockey for 20 years. Wow. Yeah, and I've done everything in the music business. I've managed artists, I've produced music, I've done the whole gamut. But at some point, it wasn't for me. Why? I was a family man. I was raising children. I wanted to get home and be there for them in, in special times. And being a DJ, you don't have that type of life. Yeah. You work till Start four at in the night morning. till four yeah. o'clock in the morning. Yes. Exactly. I was working at clubs in Brooklyn at some point. You can't point. keep a be... wife like that. <laughs> <laughs> no comment. But I, I was, you know, on occasions, on weekend, I was heading home at 8 a.m. because that's when people were leaving the club. Like mm-hmm. it was nuts. So at some point, I gave up being in this jockey and I had to figure out. How am I going to express myself as an independent entrepreneur? I've only really ever worked for myself my whole life. So what did I want to fill that, that, that creative space with? And that's when I found photography to be, I'd always done it as a hobby. I've been doing photography since the early 80s because I just enjoyed it. It also honestly was something that would 
for me, I, I am attracted to women. I, I, and so that's for me the thing. And women like men with cameras. So <laughs> do we? <laughs> in, in my in my humble experience, I found that there there are a few times that it, it worked in my favor. So no, I, I'll just say that. So if you want to take it from an intellectual perspective, I was motivated to be a hobby photographer because it definitely helped me in in ways other than just being an artist expression. But at the time when I needed to really fill my, my heart and my soul with artistic purpose, photography became a great tool because I'd left my home country and I wanted to tell the story of that. And so photography helped me there, but then it also helped me in so many other ways to express and to tell all these different stories. Now I run a company, it's called Island Syndicate. And our mantra, our motto, our sort of, thing that we build our, our entire profile on is storytelling excellence. So to use my camera, I mean, obviously we have many forms of storytelling excellence. We, we do many things, including writing and, and videoing and documenting in many ways. But for me, I use still photography. I use one image to tell a massive story. And I love doing it. It really feeds my soul. It's something that allows me to connect with the world in ways that I cannot describe easily because the pictures tell the story. Do you remember when you got your first camera? How did you get your first camera? Well, my first camera would have been, I'm going to say borrowing without permission, my dad's <laughs> camera. <laughs> <laughs> so that, that was my first, uh, you know, opportunity to use a camera. My dad had an old Canon, I think it was called the X1. Um, and uh, he really didn't use it. And it was just sitting around the house. So I would, you know, I would borrow it and return it quietly. And um, so I, I learned to love photography by using my dad's camera. Um, my first camera, I have a bunch of cameras around here that are old as the hills. I'm going to say my first camera, I think, was an Olympus. Um, and, and, and again, I think, you know what, even though I've always loved photography, what made me really get back into it at a deeper level was having a family because you know when you have a family then you, you're bound to want to document the journey like what is it that we do today what is it we're doing on our vacation what are we doing when the kids are going to play sports or things of that nature I definitely would tell you that what also inspired me at some point was my then wife we're now divorced um uh, back in the day <laughs> She ran for political office and we were hiring photographers. They were expensive and they weren't really telling the story the way I wanted to tell it. So I was like, well, you know what? I'm going to invest in sort of upgrading my gear so that I could document her journey uh, so that we could really share with the potential constituents about the work she was doing and, and so on. And so that also helped me to sort of reinvest. Um, in photography, and so I bought a lot of gear in, in, about 20 years ago or so. Um, you know, I sort of went back in, and even though I had gear and I was really just a hobby, it kind of became more business-like when I needed certain quality of imagery, and I didn't think I was going to get that easily with the gear that I had at the time. So did you study? Did you take classes? Or are the, you just a natural artist? Because the, there are natural photographers who... You learn as you go. You learn your aperture. I mean, you learn all the things as yeah, you go along. I, I, I definitely learned as I went along. I, I will not 
pretend that I did not take any classes, but I didn't do study. I didn't do it in school or didn't do it anyway, but I did take occasional classes just to make sure that what I thought I knew, I knew. So I, I've taken some of those, like, even funny enough, like uh, at high schools, I would go and take, even though I, I knew all the stuff they were teaching, just because I didn't have a club. So I, I didn't have a photography club to join. So I would go back and do some of those uh, high school classes that they would offer after hours, just so I could make sure I was around other people who love photography. And I could get some sense of what it was they were teaching, though at the point I took the classes, I already knew probably more than even some of the teachers. The truth was it was just great to be in an environment with others who loved photography. So to be able to talk about it, to you know, think about new ideas, come up with creative solutions to things that you wanted to achieve. So I really was never formally trained as a photographer. But I have taken, you know, small courses here and there just to sort of make sure that I am uh, on the right track. Hmm. So what do you want people to know about this book? What do you when they buy it and we will buy it on Sunday? What do you what do you want them to see? What what's the experience that you hope that people will have with this book and not just Jamaicans, but people who who maybe are fond of Jamaica or maybe who have not been to Jamaica? What do you want them to take away? Well, you know, there's a lot of things to take away. And I, I, if, if time allows, let me go a little bit deeper here. So what I want people to understand by interacting with this piece of art, because it's not just a you know, book put out by people who you know, got pictures from the internet or from, this was literally my journey. Like I, we planned routes and we were diverted. We spent many, many, many hours, day after day, documenting Jamaica. And then we selected from 10,000 images, the images that are in one book. So if we have 250 pictures, we trimmed 10,000 to 1,000 and from 1,000 to 250. So it's nothing in there is by chance. It's a very intentional story. And the story is what is Jamaica? It's not a book for Jamaicans. It's a book for anyone who has an interest in seeing the soul of a nation. It is about interacting with the people of Jamaica, the culture of Jamaica, the heritage, the, 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 the places that are noteworthy, as well as the places that are completely unknown. I've shown that book to, you know, in the, in the, in the time since we've had our test copies. I mean, this is the very first book signing that we're doing. And I'll tell you, I've shown the book to many Jamaicans, and most of them have never been to half the places that exist in the book. It's not something that is, you know, you could have 20 of the most experienced, knowledgeable Jamaicans in a room, and most of them won't know most of the places in the book. This is a deep exploration into Jamaica in a way in which it really hasn't been done this way before by anyone. I love that. So in creating this and uh, uh, in, in taking this journey, what did you discover about yourself? What did, what did you not know about yourself in relationship to the time you spent in Jamaica? Like what, what was that like? It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a tremendous process. I, I will say, you know, there's a lot of people to thank for what's in the book. Number one is that I have a co-photographer. So it's myself and another photographer. His name is Sean Henry. He also happens to be my best friend. 
And even though he was there with me every step of the way for the first book, the first book, I took every picture on my own. In this book, we shared the work. I probably took about half, and he probably took about half. We didn't count to see who took what. But this is a greater story in that this effort now included the, 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 the minds of more than one person, more than one artist. Two, the, the people who contributed the different little captions and little stories and the different parts that complement the images was now a greater set of resources. Before, um, we used mostly just friends to gather around the dining table, look at the picture, come up with a name, we jotted it down. <laughs> that was 10 years ago. This was a much more um, organized effort, and we really had a great brain trust of people who are creative, who could lend experience and thought to how the pieces were named. So not only do each image detail where the picture was taken, each image also has like a caption that sort of brings another life, another dimension to the picture. This really is something that when you look at it the first time and you look at it the 50th time, you learn something different in the book every single time because there is no one story. You're going to notice things the first time you don't notice the second time and notice things the third time you didn't notice the first or second time you went through the book. So it's a book that will keep giving to you the more you open it, the more you share it with others. It's just really that type of an effort. It's These are not, again, it's my work and I may not be the, the right person to say this, but this is a tremendous work that's really worth looking at in depth because there's a lot going on in the, in the pages. It's over 200 pages of images of Jamaica, but it has a much greater story. And it's really about the soul of this country. Mm. I, you know, I, I had uh, Monty Alexander. I don't know if you know Monty Alexander. I do. Great jazz Absolutely. musician on Fantastic. Some, some months ago when he was here. Um, and he, he um, performed here at the Schubert. Um, and I and I, I think I had a comment when I was talking to him, I was like, do you bear some extraordinary responsibility to continue or raise up or walk with the culture of Jamaica? Like, do you feel like everything that you do has to have some Jamaican component to it? Do you feel that kind of commitment to the culture? I do. I, without question, I do. No, it's, it's both unfair to myself and to anyone else coming after or before to ever think that way. But I love my country and my culture so much that I, I take that on without any reservation. I mean, the fact is I'm already wearing my country colors right here in my clothing. <laughs> I'm wearing my, again, I'm not a Rastafarian, but I'm wearing locks of my culture. Again, these are not accidental. These are intentional parts of who I am. I, I work every day to be a better person because I represent this great group of people who are Jamaicans. Like it's my, my children who were born in America grew up learning that they're Jamaican, not American, even though they are American as well, because there is a tremendous responsibility to pass on this, this great culture. And I, I don't think that everyone takes it as seriously as I do, but there's no question to me that this is the way that you must live, having been given the opportunity to 
to be exposed to and develop yourself in that culture. You asked at the very beginning about what it was to, you know, what's the experience of growing up being Jamaican? And I never properly answered that. But I'll say this. It is to learn, and, and there are many flaws of being Jamaican. I'm not, no perfect person. But I can promise you that there is a, I want to call it a warrior spirit of being alive. That being Jamaican brings to everyone who is Jamaican. Like even if you're the most quiet person and reserved and your your personality is not like mine to be outgoing and loud, you still bring with that that same warrior spirit of excellence and of you know the striving for greatness, even in the most quiet and reserved person, just by being Jamaican. It's it's palpable. It's it I don't know how to explain it, but it is something that we all should bear as a responsibility. And I certainly hope that all Jamaicans, whether you were born in Jamaica or born of Jamaica and somewhere else in the world, feel and feel that responsibility to continue. Now, do, you, do you ever have um, moments or opportunities to think about the politicalness of Jamaica and immigrants and, and Jamaica's celebrating 60 years of liberation? Like, do you, do you have room in your artistry for sharing that or do you allow yourself opportunity to think talk about politics i definitely do i have i do not fear politics my mother told me at a very young age the only thing she did not want for me to be is to be a politician (laughs) (laughs) and since my mom has now passed for 15 years ago i will say this it's 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 been tempting to, to to go into the realm um, against her wishes. I have not. I've been invited to many times. I've been told I'm a shoo-in to get a seat or, you know, I'd get all the support needed. I have chosen not to be an elected official, but I'm not afraid of politics. And I absolutely am uh, discouraged by the things that are not great about Jamaica. And one of them is our politics. I believe that it's extremely unfortunate that there is a high level of corruption in the country and that the corruption primarily exists within the political classes. So um, am I proud of that? Not at all. Am I willing to speak about it all the time? And am I hoping that the work that I do affects the world that is Jamaica and that it changes what occurs there? I believe it does. I believe the work that I do is a part of a greater movement of being responsible Jamaican that will, without a doubt, at some point, defeat the continuity of corruption and uh, bad politics. Mm. That's that's pretty impressive. That's pretty impressive. And so you you live in South Florida. I live in South Florida. Yeah, I I <laughs> it's. Listen, so I lived in New York City and I loved it, but this is the closest place to Jamaica that's yeah. in America. And that's a big reason why I'm here. I, my dad, my sister, my family still exists in Jamaica. I go there all the time. I make many trips. I've already been, I think, maybe three times or four times already this year. I will definitely be going down again next month and probably at least two more times after that this year. So I go to Jamaica a lot. I'm still very integral in life in Jamaica. 
but I do primarily reside in South Florida. Mm. And 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 uh, your feelings on politics in South Florida? <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I'll, I'll, I'll happily state that South Florida is not like the state of Florida and that it is very different here than it is in Central and Northern Florida. So I, I, I'm happy to say that I think South Florida is in a much better place, but there is concerns even in South Florida politically because of course, if you want to, you know, like look at the facts of the matter is that one in four, one in four people in South Florida was born in the Caribbean. That's a fact. That's, that's, that, and I say a fact, meaning that's what the census data tells us. Now, it doesn't tell us the people who didn't report on the census that were also born in the Caribbean, which might mean that our numbers are greater. But at least at the very minimum, one in four here were born in the Caribbean. Which means that if you think if you think of first and second generation Caribbeans in South Florida, we make up the majority of South Florida without a doubt. You have the Cuban population, the Haitian population, the Jamaican population, and I could go on. And then for someone like me, who I don't know if you're aware, I am the co-founder of the only Caribbean museum in the world. And as such, I am also highly political in that realm. And my thinking is that if we call the Caribbean, and now this is my definition, all the people who are either from the islands of the Caribbean, as well as all the countries that touch the Caribbean Sea, including Suriname, Guyana, Panama, Belize, Honduras, and so on. And we can list all the countries that are in Central and South America that touch the Caribbean Sea that have the same shared history, the same shared colonialism, the shared states shared slavery, et cetera, et cetera. If we go and look at that body of people and their, let's just say, their effect on South Florida and the politics here, then I'll tell you honestly that we're in a good place in South Florida, but can we bring the rest of the state along? And I'm not here mm. to talk politics today, but, <laughs> but you ask leading questions and I can't ignore the fact that surely there is um, there is a distinction between the state of florida and the state of south florida i i agree so um we got we got a few more minutes um were you creative during the pandemic did it did it grow you or did it stifle you did it it growed you... me tremendously okay I, I, at first at first there was a big big pause and so I felt like hands were tied and nothing was going to happen. But then we birthed the museum and that's really what happened. We had no work in, in, in our traditional work. And so we had this big space and time. We'd already been doing a tremendous amount of work, um, bringing Caribbean artifacts to different venues throughout South Florida. We, we had a, a touring museum we, for one year in particular and we'd you know, literally been month by month pulling down and building up these different displays in um, art galleries, in libraries, in museums, in, in, in various ways, because this is the work that I've been um, purposed to do in my life. And the pandemic came and it stopped a lot of things, but it allowed us the space and the time to say, you know what, it's time for us to own our own space and for us to celebrate 
our heritage of the Caribbean, not just of being Jamaican now. And, and so the, the time allowed us to create a brand new space. And so during the very first few months of the pandemic, we created the first ever Caribbean museum in the world. Not, not, not just outside really? in the world. It's that the only is one. Amazing. Google Island Space Caribbean Museum. Just Google it whenever you're ready. Or you can go to islandspacefl.org. And we created that within the first four months of the pandemic. We had already been doing a lot of the work, but based on that huge pause, we were then able to work on and develop the space that now is thriving and is still, to this point, the only existing place that celebrates the entire Caribbean as one unified group in any way, the heritage or the culture or anything like that. I think, I think, I think Bob Marley is smiling. <laughs> <laughs> I think he just took one love to a whole other, whole other uh, level. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, there, there's a lot, and you know, the work that we do is because we didn't choose the work; the work chose us. Like it, it was, it, you know, many people ask, "Is this an original idea?" It, nothing is original. There's nothing. I didn't come up with it. Like, oh, voila. This is David's idea. No, it's just the continuity of work that was started by many others. And finally, it's come to something physical to present. But this is not my work. Uh, I, I have a co-founder, my business partner. Her name is Philippe Thompson. We worked on this together. But honestly, outside of the two of us, we have to have a board. We have to have willing participants who give the artifacts. We have There's so many parts to it that you know how do I realistically accept that this is my work it's not it's our unified space and it will only continue for a long time if others give in the same way that I'm giving and and, and are inspired to make the work continue so I, I look forward to seeing how the Caribbean Museum grows and how it expands to be more spectacular as time goes on well, I know that you will be here on Sunday, September 25th, yes. from 4 to 6. And you're going to be at Bloom, which is one of my favorite places in the city. Um, Bloom is at 794 Edgewood Avenue. And you will be signing your books. They'll be there I for will. sale, and you'll be signing them. And I will be in line so I can get my, uh, I can get my, uh, my book signed. It was a pleasure meeting you and talking to you, David. Thank you. And I look forward. We're we're putting in the chat um, the link to to the to the gallery, so 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 people can see it. Oh, yeah. thank you, Harry Droz. Wow, that's a huge space. Thank you so much. That's the work that we did. So okay, now we, that might let, be a destination. I might have to make my way to South yeah, Florida. Yeah, uh, get your <laughs> visa ready. Get your visa. You know you got to get a visa for Florida. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I've enjoyed this conversation. I look forward to meeting you in live and living color on Sunday at uh, four to six at Bloom. Thank you for the time, David. I appreciate Thank it greatly. Thank you for the opportunity. Have a great day. You too. Take good care. Thank you, Harry. Thank you, Nora. Um, I'm out. Good people. Enjoy the rest of your day. I'll be back tomorrow. See y'all.